The following is a message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org. That's D-U-R-K-E-E-T-O-W-N dot O-R-G. I didn't remind the AV team back there that... Um, Sarah, do we have the children's prayer queued up? I forgot to, to remind you of that. And if you don't, uh, that's okay. I can pray for our families. Something we want to uh, begin doing every week, and there it is. Well done back there. Well done. Before our kids go to children's church, we want to develop this practice. Families are under a tremendous amount of pressure and stress. And I'm sure that uh, you pray for the families of our church, but I think it's a good kind of corporate practice for us to develop and maintain as God would give us the grace to do it. So pray the prayer with me, please. Almighty God, Heavenly Father, you have blessed our congregation with the joy and care of children. Give us courage, patience, and wisdom as we bring them up in the faith that they might never know a day apart from you. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Bless you kids as you go out to Children's Church and those that are teaching you today. May they be faithful uh, in their work as well. Uh, this past year, uh, we have um, also uh, tried to encourage you to have your Bible open and uh, in the various texts, that we are working on, whether it's in the scripture reading and especially, of course, in the sermon. So John, chapter number one in your scriptures, make sure you have your Bibles open um, to, the, to the text. There will be a couple of places in the sermon where we're going to uh, go to some other text in the Bible. Uh, so you'll let your fingers do the walking and get there. But I'm going to read for us John 1. Uh, beginning with verse number 29, uh, as we read uh, of the coming of the disciples uh, to Jesus. John 1, verse 29. The next day, John, that is John the Baptist, seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me, and I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I, come, uh, am I come to baptize with water. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water... The same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same as he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. Again, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following and said unto them, What seek ye? 
they said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted master, where dwellest thou? And he saith unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. When Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. Now I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. I love the poem by Malcolm Geith, The Call of the Disciples. He calls us to step aboard his ship. Take the adventure on this morning's wing. Raise sail with him. Launch out into the deep. Whatever storms or floods are threatening. If faith gives way to doubt or love to fear, then as on Galilee we will rouse the Lord, for he is always with us. And will hear and make our peace with his creative word who made us, loved us, formed us, and has set all his beloved lovers in an ark. Born upwards by his spirit, we will float above the rising waves, the falling dark as fellow pilgrims driven towards that haven where all will be redeemed, fulfilled, and forgiven. Can you imagine a time, a place when all is redeemed, all is fulfilled, all is forgiven? Our series theme um, is looking at the light. And the big idea of this sermon will be to follow the sign that John the Baptist gives when he tells two men, one of whom we know is Andrew, to behold the Lamb. That lamb is Jesus, who is the light we are to be looking at. Now what this sermon is going to do is serve as a bit of a tutorial. Because many Christians, many disciples, myself included, struggle with the day-to-day implications of their faith. Exactly how does this thing of Christianity work? How do I make sense of it? How do I get from point A to point B? And sometimes we get stuck, don't we? And it can be very frustrating when we get stuck. There may be some uh, in the room, uh, young or old, uh, on the verge uh, of throwing in the proverbial towel. You can't take it anymore, the frustration you've tried and whatever it might be, and just don't seem to be making much progress. Others maybe have just accepted a discipleship that is, you know, at best external. Without any real challenges, your faith would not be described as a robust faith, rich, rewarding, and something that requires you to do more, be more than you ever thought possible. 
But I do believe we were made for more. And I believe we were made for the kind of discipleship that changes us from the inside out. And that inside out change begins today. It begins when we behold the Lamb and it lasts for all eternity. Because for all eternity we're going to be beholding the Lamb of God. As John tells us in the Revelation. This brings me to my first point, and it's a point of impracticality. John says to these two men, one of whom is Andrew, Behold, a lamb, they're standing next to John. Jesus is right there. Obviously, they can look at him. Because I can see Cliff or Charlene or Chuck or Roy. You know, you can see each other. And so this is a point of impracticality. How can we look at Jesus? He cannot be seen. They could see him with their eyes. They could hear him with their ears. We cannot. And for some people, that's a real problem because seeing is believing. And they get stuck. And they can't figure it out. How can we look at Jesus? So the Apostle John is writing this gospel... But then much later he writes a letter to the church. And when he writes this letter to the church, he writes about the collective experience of the disciples, including himself, with Jesus. But he's writing to a group of people who, like us, had not seen Jesus or heard Jesus. And so John instructs the church on how they should view this thing of seeing Jesus even though they can't actually physically lay their eyes on him to listen to Jesus, even though they cannot physically hear him. Go back to the very back of the New Testament. John chapter number 1. We'll put the reference up on the screen. John 1. And I just want to reference this, verses 1 through 3. And John, believe it or not, gives us some help with how we can behold the Lamb, even though we cannot see him. How we can hear the Lamb even though we cannot physically hear his voice. John 1, the first letter that John wrote. So 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, John writes, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. This is John's personal experience. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us, that which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father, and with his Son, Jesus Christ, And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. Now, you might think, well, that's not much help. I thought maybe John would inform us about some secret passageway. You know, we can occasionally take whoosh up the ladder we go. And there we get a good glimpse of Jesus like in the old days at the carnival when they'd have the two-headed pig or the bearded lady or light. You got to look through the hole and there it is and you go on your way. And that's, that's not what John says. John is speaking impractically. 
He says, here was our experience. But then he says to the church, you can have the same experience. None of the people John is writing to would have seen Jesus or heard Jesus. But John does not hesitate to tell them that they can have fellowship with Jesus and with the Father. And it can lead to a fullness of joy even though they do not physically see Jesus or physically hear Jesus with their ears. Well, we'll say, well, how is that possible? Well, it brings me to the second thing I want to talk about. It is the action of God's grace through the work of the Holy Spirit that enables us then to behold the Lamb. It is an action of God's grace through the work of the Holy Spirit that enables us to behold the Lamb. You might recall um, Charlene read from 1 Corinthians, Paul writing to the church in Corinth, he tells them that he gives thanks for the grace given to them through Jesus Christ and that they are being enriched by that grace so that they're not lacking in any gifts or abilities. That's a strange thing for Paul to write, but that's how grace works. And what the church did over time is then to develop this understanding that in order for you and I to be able to have fellowship with the Father and the Son, it will be through the Holy Spirit who uses what the church calls the means of grace to then bring us into fellowship so that we can indeed behold the Lamb. In a few months, you're going to unravel your garden hose and you're going to hook it up to the spigot and you're going to pull it out and you're going to hope it doesn't have a bunch of kinks in it and then you're going to turn it on to water your geraniums or whatever and the water that comes out the other end comes through the hose which is the means through which the water gets the thing you're watering. Well God in his mercy and his grace has given to you and I means through which the water flows in order for our lives to be enriched and nourished as we behold the Lamb of God. Baptism. You know, the older I get, the more I don't understand anyone's reluctance to be baptized. Because it is a means of grace through which we visibly enter into the fellowship, the body of Christ. And that's what John said. Our fellowship is with God and with one another. Baptism is, is that visible statement of fellowship, of unity, of being one with Christ. The table. That every Sunday when we come into this place, our hearts are ready and eager and excited to come to this table to be sharing in the communion with our Lord. The, the, the meal that Jesus himself prepared for his disciples is now the eternal meal that we fellowship with forever through this meal that we eat together every week. These means of grace powerfully work within the body of Christ and the fellowship of his people, as we submit or as we surrender to the discipleship efforts of the church, 
bringing people around God's word, teachers and Bible study leaders, whatever it might be, who then lead us to a greater understanding and application of the scriptures. That there would be an eagerness in our lives to prioritize every opportunity given to avail ourselves to the means of grace that God has so mercifully poured out upon the church so that we can then behold the Lamb. It is not an impractical thing for me to say. Because it carries with it the very mercy of God poured out on us today. Discipleship then is best understood as a gracious invitation from God to do exactly um, what Jesus invited those first disciples to do, and that is to come and see Jesus. I think it is a wonderful statement in verse number 39 when Jesus says to them, come and see. Come and see. What an invitation. I mean, can you imagine that you and I still today, every day, every moment of every day, continually invited by the Lord of glory to come and see him, to behold him. And as we surrender ourselves day by day to the means of grace, we are being transformed then by God in Christ. And this is the great goal then, or outcome, destination, if you will, of our discipleship, is to be shaped and formed into the image of Jesus Christ. There's a wonderful summary statement about Jesus um, I'll put the reference up, on, or they, they'll put the reference up on the screen. It's Luke 2.52. I'm just going to read the verse for you. It comes at that long arc. You know, the beginning of Luke 2 is the story of the birth of Jesus. And Luke 2 covers 12 years. It's crazy, right? Uh, because you, at, you, at, it ends there with the uh, story of Jesus with his parents in the temple. And then at the end, Luke says this about Jesus. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. That, brothers and sisters in Christ, is what it means to be shaped and formed in our discipleship. That we increase in wisdom, that we increase in stature, that we increase in favor with God and with man. You know, summary statements like that are really helpful for our trajectory as disciples. You know, and, and we think about a, a chapter like, you know, Luke 2, and we say, well, what did Jesus, what did he do? And there's that big gap of time. What, what did he do from age 12 to age 30? And, and I would suggest, of course, that that's the wrong question to ask. We should ask, what did he become? What did he become? But, but we are almost always oriented towards doing first. And not first considering what are we becoming. Because if Jesus doesn't become a man who increases in wisdom, stature, and in favor with God and man, we are all in trouble. <laughs> We're in big trouble. But he did. And we don't even have to guess how he did it because later he would tell his disciples, everything you want to know about me is taught in the law and in the Psalms and in the prophets. 
If you want to know how Jesus became a man increasing in wisdom, stature, and favor with God and man, read the law, read the Psalms, read the prophets. Like we read today from Isaiah 49. And this is the great epiphany truth that pulls us into something beyond ourselves, something eternal. For if Jesus increased then we too should assume an increase as well. This indicates then an ongoing work of the Holy Spirit, not a temporary arrangement. It's not, you know, I believe in you, Lord Jesus. I'm glad my sins, you know, are forgiven. And that's it. No, the Spirit enters our lives and he begins to change us again through the means of grace The Holy Spirit poured out upon us, and so as disciples, we should be asking, how has the Spirit shown us more of Jesus? How are you becoming more like Jesus as you read God's Word? As you pray? As you engage in the fellowship of the church? As you submit to the teaching of the church? As you struggle through the daily experiences of life? How are you becoming more like Jesus? If you follow the lives of the 12 disciples, you will not find a static relationship. Instead, it is a constant movement as Jesus reveals more and more of himself, of his glory. That's what John says earlier in the first chapter. We beheld his glory. We we finally understood what was going on and it was glorious. That's what we looked at as they were pulled into the reality of Jesus and ultimately into his image, which, of course, is the purpose of discipleship, to fully bear the image of the one who is shaping and forming us. But I want to send out a warning here. I need to alert you to something, and it's been problematic in my life because of the way I was trained to think and the way I assumed Christianity would have worked. And it really gave me the wrong focus for many years. You know, I agree with the adage that not all who wander are lost. I I like that. Not all who wander are lost. But you know what? I have found in the church there are many people wandering around and they have yet to find what they're looking for, even in the church. In over 32 years, you know, it's kind of been my sad experience to have people come in and people go out. Many of those thought when they were coming in, they were looking for something, but they were looking for what they thought it was supposed to be, and then out the door they went. Because the church, and then, you know, might have been clubs and other things that they were going to get involved in, hopefully to find what they're looking for. If you are not looking to be shaped informed into the image of Jesus Christ. You're looking for the wrong thing. So I want to send out this warning. The shaping of our lives into the image of Christ is not about getting the right answers to Bible questions. I I thought it was. That's kind of how I was raised. Win the Bible drill, win the Bible quiz, memorize all the verses, get the wanna club stuff, 
all done. I got the right answers. Like, yeah, yeah, I know who Melchizedek is. I know the difference between Saul the king and Saul of Tarsus. And I know there's a whole lot of Johns. They get, you know, confusing. And yeah, Peter and Simon, they're the same guy. And I know the books of the Bible in order. And yes, there was a time when I could recite them backwards. But I struggled greatly with figuring out the Christian life beyond getting right answers to Bible questions. Discipleship isn't so much about how much you know, although knowledge isn't unimportant, but it means that if we want to increase in wisdom, stature, and favor with God and man, we must pursue the right focus and not just the right answers. In his book, Renovation of the Heart, which in, in my opinion is the finest book on discipleship, at least the finest book I've ever read on discipleship, Dr. Dallas Willard, who was with the Lord, wrote this. We'll put it up on the screen for you. Christian spiritual formation is focused entirely on Jesus. Its goal is obedience or conformity to Christ that arises out of an inner transformation accomplished through purposive interaction with the grace of God in Christ. Obedience is an essential outcome of Christian spiritual formation. And here's what I like about Dr. Willard's thinking. He did not write that obedience is to be the entire focus of Christian spiritual formation. The matter of obedience is important, but if we're going to give the kind of obedience that is a reflection of Jesus, we have to focus on the root and not on the fruit. John said, behold the lamb. He didn't say, check out your list. Did you keep all the commandments today? Jesus said, come and see. He didn't say, clean yourself up first. There's be a quiz before you get in. Make sure you know the Ten Commandments in right order. Discipleship begins with a gracious invitation. And as we receive that invitation, we must then steadily lean into the grace of God as it is poured out upon us in the Spirit for it is the Spirit then who takes the written Word of God and then shapes and forms us into the image of the eternal living Word, the Logos that John writes about at the beginning, the one John said is full of grace and is full of truth. And listen, parents, if you're raising children, teaching God's Word, if you are leading a Bible study, if you're mentoring or another Christian, I hope you'll take this warning with all seriousness. Don't focus simply on making sure they get right answers to questions or just external acts of obedience. Yes, those things are important, but you want to be able to see a deep inner transformation taking place in their life so that their secondary responses are given without thought and their righteous responses. And that's a sign of Christian maturity. That you don't have to first think about obeying. It becomes a natural response of the work of the Holy Spirit within you. 
Look more deeply into the inner transformation, the renovation of the heart of the people you are working with. Point them to the, to the root and not just the fruit. But let me give you the second warning. And that is our experiences as disciples will be different. But the goal will be the same. Did you notice uh, there at the end of the reading of the first John passage, uh, or, or John chapter number one, excuse me, the gospel reading, that Peter gets a new name, but Andrew doesn't, right? Jesus says to Peter, I'm going to, you're, you're going to be, you know, see, you're going to be the rock. And Andrew's like, he doesn't get a new name, but Andrew's the guy that brought Peter, Right? And this is important for us to remember because very often we get discouraged. But, but this trajectory of discipleship is up to Jesus. It doesn't make Andrew less important, although it might seem that way. Because if you follow you know, the story of Andrew, it, it, it's quick, it's over, it's done. Very few references about Andrew. He accepts the invitation to come and see Jesus. He brings his brother Peter to Jesus. Later in John 6, he brings the boy with the loaves and fishes to Jesus. He doesn't think much is going to come of it, but he does it anyway. We find him on the Mount of Olivet as Jesus gives that sermon to Peter and James and John. And then the last mention we have of Andrew is Acts 1 in the upper room with 120 people, and that's it. Peter, he's all over the place. You see, the result, the end is the same. Transformation, being like Jesus, but the experiences in our discipleship will be varied and differ. And we need to accept that with thanksgiving. And to believe that the Lord is is the one who is wisely distributing his gifts and the work that he's doing. You know, we have it here in the gospel as well. Just as the ministry of John the Baptist begins to decrease to make room for the increasing ministry of Jesus. The rising star of Andrew short-lived in comparison to Peter. Some of you in this room will outdistance others in terms of visibility. But in the end, all of us will be brought into conformity to one single person, and that's Jesus Christ. Regardless of the trajectory of our discipleship on earth. So two points, two warnings. Let me give you two points of application, and I've got to be done quickly here. The first one is about the importance of Christian friendship. And the second is about handling discipleship discouragement. We're putting these quotes up on the board because I know I say them, but I think it'd be good to jot them down and maybe think about them as well. This one is from the Anglican Bishop J.C. Ryle, who was a 19th century um, worker in the Church of England. He, he wrote this, Let us seek friends that will stir up our prayers, our Bible reading, our use of time, and our salvation. You see, friendships within the context of the church are important. And they're especially important as a way to have a transformative encounter with Jesus Christ. Andrew 
brings his brother. We read later on in the, in, in the first chapter of John, others come along with him. Jesus is constantly seeking people out, bringing people to himself. This is what I talked about last week uh, when I used the phrase faithfulness to the ordinary. Seemingly very ordinary friendships within the church that stir up our prayers and our Bible reading, our use of time and our salvation, encouraging one another in the faith is part of that larger means of grace. And why friendship and fellowship in the church is so very important and and why we're really trying to work overtime to bring back many opportunities for fellowship that were lost during that big pause and people got out of the habit but we need to regather that as a people chili chowder and hymns what a great start super bowl party what a great start this coming wednesday down at saint james 11 o'clock in the morning you get to ask me any question you want out of the bible I can't promise you that I'm going to be able to answer all of them, but we're there to fellowship and to encourage one another around God's word. If you're not aware of it, you should be aware of it and pray on Wednesday night as a young adult Bible study is taking place here at the church and young adults from our church are gathered together. Mops group, uh, whatever those dates are, each month, twice a month. Ladies gathering here and being encouraging. Quilters group on Thursday morning. And many other things that take place. Have you plugged into any of them? When you see it in the bulletin, him thought, I'm not going to that. Ah, I'm not going to do that. Ah, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. Seek friends that will stir you up for Jesus. Bishop Ryle said. These ordinary actions of the church are important to help us grow in the likeness of Jesus. And as we grow in him, we will then be strengthened to overcome the discouragements that so often accompany our desire to behold the Lamb. So how should we handle headwinds? I was Rod and Cora this morning down at St. James, and they just came back from visiting family in Alaska, and he told me that they had three hours of turbulence Three hours. Yeah. How do you handle it? Seasons of turbulence. Dryness. Anxiety, stress, frustration. Unanswered prayer. Well, Jesus told us. Well, Isaiah told us. He told us what Jesus would do. We read it earlier, Ange read it from us, from Isaiah 49. Uh, We'll put the verse back up for you. Listen to the perspective of God's servant, Jesus, when he says, Then I said, I have labored in vain. Anybody feel that way? You ever feel like, what's the use? I've spent my strength for naught and in vain. About all the people you've prayed for, all the people you've witnessed to. Oh, the invitations you've given, even to church members. Hey, come over to my house. And I'm busy, you know. And it just seemed that we never get anywhere. But how how does he answer? Yet surely my judgment is with the Lord and my work with my God. 
You see, on, on the day of the crucifixion of Jesus, Pilate thought he had judged Jesus. The Jewish leadership thought that they had judged Jesus. The crowds thought they had judged Jesus. But no one was judging Jesus except God because Jesus had offered himself into God's care. And three days later, he's risen from the dead. And the judgment proved to be worthy. And so what do you do with your discouragements? You don't let the people that reject you judge you. You don't even judge yourself for your own failures. You offer yourself into the care of God. Your judgment is with the Lord. Our work, our work collectively, our work individually, whatever that looks like, is with our God. And we let it rest in his care. The servant that we know is Jesus reminds himself that the final arbiter is God and the final judgment will be given by God. This is, by the way, counterintuitive. It's not at all like the marketing strategies of the church at present in America. The pragmatic programmers of our day that want to give you three simple steps to get out of discouragement. We have to hold fast to the essential truth of discipleship or else we'll be easily toppled over when the headwinds, the turbulence, the discouragements come. In a book I'm studying with Eric and with, and with Jude, uh, Graham Goldsworthy writes this, and again, we'll put it up on the screen. To, maybe you can jot it down. The key is not the strength of perfection of Abraham's faith, but the strength and perfection of the God he trusts. Think about that for your life when you're faced with discouragement. The key is not your strength to get it right. The key is the strength and perfection of the God we are trusting in. So here we have John the Baptist with two of his disciples, one of whom is Andrew. And he tells them to behold the Lamb. The Lamb that would die for their sins the lamb that would be raised from the dead, the lamb who would then ascend into heaven, the lamb that is presently being worshipped by us, saints below as well as saints above. But the invitation by Jesus cannot be missed either, and that is to come and see. To come and see. That's what those men did. They went with Jesus. They saw where he lived. They stayed with him. So if you're stuck in a discipleship, a discipleship rut, if the daily grind has ground you down, or, you know, some in the room might just be doing great. You might be a hundred percenter right now in your discipleship. Pray for me because that's not, that's not where I am right now. But all of us, need to pray for the Holy Spirit to open our ears so that we hear the gracious invitation by our Lord to come and see. And as we behold him, we become like him, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. And now, Lord, as we gather around your table and we do the work of fellowship, the work you have given us to do. 
let us know that we indeed have found what we're looking for, the Lamb of God for us. In Jesus' good name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. You may freely copy and distribute this message, but please do so at no charge and without altering the contents in any way. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org.